Well, g'day. Not quite sure the fascination with that back left-hand corner there when the heat is right down here. Uh, they're tough. They're tough in the back corner. Uh, terrific to see you this morning. Uh, as we come to God's Word, why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus, for the challenges that he issues, and we pray, please, that we would be those who hear and have ears to hear and listen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had a spiritual hearing test. Uh, you're about to get one from the Lord Jesus. Uh, you probably had a physical one at some point, looking at the number of uh, if um, hearing aids in the room and uh, I don't know if you know what it's like to have trouble with your hearing. Uh, something that uh, disappears with age, everything uh, becomes muffled, the high frequencies disappear, uh, you start to lose the 22 kilohertz sounds uh, after about 50. Uh, uh, but it's not just something that comes with ageing, isn't it? There's industrial deafness, I've got a bit of industrial deafness from working in the brewery uh, all those years ago, uh, but we'd just wander around without hearing protection on with 30,000 bottles clinking against each other. Uh, incredible noise. Or anyone that's been to rock concerts probably has industrial deafness. 90 decibels uh, you can withstand for an hour without having permanent damage to your ears. That's the sound of a lawnmower. You can mow your lawn with a petrol lawnmower for an hour, uh, every three decibels, the sound level doubles uh, and it's, you halve the time that you can say. So 93 decibels, half an hour, 96. Rock concerts, 120 decibels is typical. Uh, how long should you stay in that sound environment without any permanent hearing damage? Three and a half seconds. Uh, so if you live longer than three and a half seconds, you're doing permanent damage to your hearing. Uh, people are doing damage to themselves unwittingly. But, but there's another hearing problem, isn't there? And that is uh, the one that the wives understand, uh, that is selective deafness. Uh, <laughs> uh, too distracted, too invested in their own worlds, not to hear what's being said by our darling brides. But, but it's not really just the men who suffer from selective deafness, is it? Most of us have gotten very used to looking like we're paying attention but we're really not. Uh, maybe you're doing it right now. Uh, maybe you've got so good at it. But if that's the case, well, you don't even know that we're talking about you at this moment. But, uh, and you can't get a hearing aid to fix that problem, can you? But none of those are the hearing problems that Jesus wants to test us for. Or I guess that last one is the most similar. Are you ready for a spiritual hearing test because that's what this chapter in Matthew chapter 13 is all about. Do you have ears to hear what Jesus is on about or not? Because that's the line he says over and over again through the chapter, right? Did you hear it when it was read for us by Kathy? Uh, verse 9, let anyone who has ears listen. Or verse 43, let anyone who has ears listen. Or in other translations, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Because as he teaches about our spiritual hearing, what Jesus is doing really is exposing our hearts and showing how it is that people respond to God and his kingdom. And there's a challenge in it. What kind of person are you going to be? How are you going to hear about the kingdom? And he's explaining why also that matters so much. Now, the way that Jesus is going to administer this spiritual hearing test 
is nothing like when you go to the, the ear doctor where they put the earphones on and they play different frequencies and sometimes the sound's over here and they get you to point which way and, and so on. Uh, but Jesus does his hearing test through a series of stories which normally are called parables. And if you've followed, been following through Matthew's gospel with us or are familiar with it, you'll notice that this is very different to how Jesus normally teaches, isn't it? You think of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's not parables. That was just back a few chapters. There's a long block of teaching, very straightforward, very clear, uh, very direct, even confronting as he spells out uh, the things of God. But here and now, and only on very few occasions, Jesus switches to using a whole bunch of stories about farmers and fishermen and trees and fields and cupboards. And, and you might be tempted to think, well, well, maybe Jesus had had some sermon critique from the disciples. They come and said, you know, you can do this better. Had a sermon on the mount. That went for a long time. And if you just put some stories in there, um, you know, some worked examples, a metaphor, like in a poem, you know, maybe that would be more engaging to help people get the point. You know, simplify things and, and bring them more down to earth. And if you grew up with Sunday school, that's a great privilege, uh, I, I, one I missed out on because I came from a non-Christian family and only became a Christian as an adult. But if you did go to Sunday school, you might well have been taught that Jesus told parables to make things easier to understand, that they're earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, that they're making complex spiritual ideas a little more concrete and, and simple for people. But notice two very odd things about the parables here in Matthew 13. The first is when Jesus used them, because it wasn't all the time. Right? He only did it on particular occasions when there were great crowds that listening at moments of great conflict. He has just been in a massive barney. If you were here last week, there's a fight that had been going on for some time, but it really... They got stuck into each other, Jesus and the teachers of the law, last week in the hearing of this vast crowd. And so that's when he switches to these stories. But notice also we're told over and over again that Jesus doesn't use parables to make himself more easily understood at all. If he'd been trying to make himself clearer by telling stories, you'd have to say that he failed completely. Because not even his closest friends understood anything he was talking about. They, they kept coming up and saying, well, why are you speaking like that? We don't understand. Tell us what it means. Verse 10, why are you speaking to them in parables? We don't get it. They keep asking him. Verse 16, then he left the crowds, went to the house, and the disciples approached him and said, explain it to us. So if Jesus was trying to make himself clearer, the parables weren't helping so why tell them? Why tell stories? Why the parables? Well, Jesus has got an answer for that, and it's absolutely shocking. Verse 10, then the disciples came and said, why are you speaking to them in parables? He answered, because the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know, but it has not been given to them. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and he will have more than enough but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That's why I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see, and hearing they do not listen or understand. 
Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, You will listen and listen, but never understand. You will look and look, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they've shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back, and I would heal them. Why are you talking in such weird stories, Jesus? So that they will never hear. So they'll stay in the dark. I don't know if that's something that you ever thought Jesus would do. Keep people in the dark. And that's because the parables are really riddles. That would be a better translation of the word parable. It's a riddle. It's a brain teaser. It's something to bake your noodle. It's kind of like those Mensa puzzles that you can never work out the answer to. You've got to be told it, but once you're being told it, and you hear someone else asking, you say, oh, well, I'm so smart because I know the answer is, <laughs> and you whip it out. You know, the, you're standing on an ice cube when he hung himself. <laughs> uh, that's why there's a puddle. Anyway, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like when Bilbo and Gollum had that riddle off in the dark. They're trying to confuse each other, not help each other. But the disciples, he explains everything. They have the secrets of the kingdom of heaven because he's told it to them straight when they've come and asked. And so they've got a privilege that no one else has. So verse 16, blessed are your eyes because they do see and your ears because they do hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see the things you see, but didn't see them. To hear the things you hear, but didn't hear them. Now again, it's... Is that something you expected from Jesus? That he's telling these parables to keep people in the dark, but he's explaining everything to his closest followers because they're the blessed ones. They're the ones who hear. Why would he do that? Well, notice he says it's to fulfill the words of the prophets. And, and two passages get quoted from the Old Testament, don't they? The first one's Isaiah 6. Uh, Isaiah was a prophet of God about 750 years before Jesus in one of the darkest periods of Israel's history. King after king had come and led them away from God uh, rather than towards him like they should have done. And so God's Old Testament people, the Israelites, were, were worshipping idols and false gods and they were giving themselves to do all kinds of detestable things. I mean, you think Sydney's shameless these days with its sexual immorality and freedom, with you know, its multi-religious kind of atmosphere? Well, nothing compared to Israel. And God had warned them over and over again that he hated it and he threatened to destroy them if they kept it up. For hundreds of years, he had pleaded with them through the prophets, but it only got worse and worse. And so Isaiah's called, he's given this tremendous vision of God's awesomeness and majesty and power he's overwhelmed by his own sinfulness and the sinfulness of his people that god forgives him and cleanses him in isaiah 6 and then he says i want to go as your messenger and he's told okay but speak in such a way that they will hear but never listen look and never perceive because i'm going to bring my judgment on them and jesus says that's what's happening with him is speaking in such a way that judgment is going to fall. Or again, Psalm 78, which Matthew quotes in verse 34, I'll open my mouth in parables or riddles. I will declare things that are secret from the foundation of the world. And again, it's a psalm of judgment. 
God is going to bring judgment on sinful and rebellious Israel because they've closed their ears to the truth. They've closed their ears to God. They've closed their ears to the prophets. They've ignored all the warnings and teachings and the laws God has given them. And so his new message is going to come in riddles, in parables, in secret sayings, things that you just can't get straightforwardly. And so just like happened to their forebears, Jesus comes and speaks in riddles which are only going to confirm them in their rejection of the Messiah. Now just ponder for a moment. Jesus came into the world to save people from their sins, right? To die for the sins of the world. What would have happened if Jesus had come into the world and spoken clearly and they accepted him and repented of their sins? and said, you are the Messiah. Right? Put him on the shoulders and carried him off. Yeah, well, they wouldn't have killed him. And then he wouldn't have died for the sins of the world and we'd still be in our sins. And salvation wouldn't have come to mankind. No, the plan of God was that Israel would reject the Messiah and it wasn't that hard of a plan to put into effect because the consistent pattern of Israel was to reject God and all of his messengers. So when the Messiah came, they did what they always do. They rejected God and his Messiah. So Jesus speaks in these stories, these riddles, these parables to the crowds, which not even his mates can understand, and they have to come and ask him about them, which is actually the point. He's sorting out the people. He's dividing them into camps between those who are spiritually deaf, who can't be bothered figuring out what the heck Jesus is talking about, and those who come to him and say, we want to understand, we, we don't get it, please explain it to us. Which he's really happy to do. Everyone else, though, what, imagine being there that day. Jesus is telling his stories. You weren't one of the privileged few that got to go and ask him what it meant. You go home, imagine the conversations people were having on the way home. You know, one says, oh, I really like that story about the farm. I grew up on a farm, you know, the cattle were great, yeah, fantastic. You know, another one says, well, you remember Uncle Fred, he used to tell stories about the crops all the time. I, I remember this one time when he was talking about the, the drought back in 86, you know. And, and so, they've heard the story, but, but they've missed the point. Another says, well, I wasn't really listening, I was just lying there, the crowds were there, it was fun, and soaking in the rays, the boats out there in the lake, weren't they beautiful? Now the clouds, oh, it's just such a lovely day. Uh, and others might be chatting and saying, well, maybe Jesus was saying something really profound, but, but I've got a busy day tomorrow, I've got to get to bed, I don't have time to think about it too much right now. And in a sense, that's exactly the fulfilment of the parables that he's giving, isn't it? Because when Jesus does explain them to the disciples when they come and ask, that's what he says the point is. They're a hearing test. They're all about how you hear the word of God, how you respond to him and to the kingdom of heaven, how you listen. So let's just whip through the parables and, and, and see if we pass the spiritual hearing test or not. The first one is specifically about the different ways people listening to Jesus, isn't it? The parable of the sower and the four soils. The farmer's chucking out seeds, 
four different patches of ground, uh, the path where birds come and eat it all up. There's the, the uh, rocky soil where the seed can't put down deep roots. The sun comes out, burns it all up, it withers and dies. Uh, there's the thorny ground with weeds growing up with the good, the good plants, uh, but they choke out the good plants and so they wither and die too. And the good soil where the seed takes deep root in the nourishing richness of the osmocote and sea salt and flourishes and produces this bumper crop. The disciples come and say, what the heck does that mean? And he says, it's how you hear the word of God. And the obvious question is, which kind of soil are you? Now, we're going to come back to that one a bit later. Then there's the parable of the weeds and the wheat in verse 24, which asks a very simple, challenging question, which, again, the disciples didn't understand. They had to come and ask Jesus, what is this parable about? Well, the very simple question is, in the day of judgment... Are you going to be the weeds which are burnt up or are you going to be the wheat which is harvested? Because God lets both grow up together until the day of judgment when they're separated. Which one are you? It's very similar in verse 47 with the fishing at the fifth story Jesus tells. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish, and when it was full, they dragged it ashore, sat down, gathered the good fish into containers, but threw out the worthless ones. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Which one are you? The third parable, the mustard seed, verse 31 it's almost more of an eye test than a hearing test. How does the kingdom of heaven look to you? You might not think you're looking at very much right now. In his own time, Jesus was just a wandering teacher and healer. Small bunch of devoted followers. Yeah, crowds came. You know, even at 5,000 at one time, you might think that's a big crowd. That's nothing compared to the footy, is it? Right? And... Uh, and, and most of them went home and, and didn't bother with him. Um, they, they didn't try to work out if he was worth anything or not. Uh, he looked just like a mustard seed, which is really tiny. In fact, can you tell I'm holding one up right now or not? Am I faking it? You'd never know, do you? I'll just pretend to put it back in here and uh, you can ask me later. <laughs> Go down the, the, the herb and spice aisle and you'll see how tiny they are, but they grow into these enormous trees. Uh, and, and that's his point. You, you can mistake it. Uh, it looks pathetic. It looks tiny. It looks like nothing, but it's actually going to be the source of blessing there where the birds are going to come and nest. It's going to be full-blown glory one day. And people are still making the same mistake today, aren't they? They look at Christianity, they look at the church, they think it's so small and so weak and so pathetic, particularly secular Australians. They, they think the church is just a, a tiny dying relic of a bygone era, happily running to its death. But God's word is still at work. His gospel is flourishing and people are coming to Christ in their droves. They're even becoming Christians around here. Right? 
the imams in Libya, though, are in panic because they've counted how many Muslims are becoming Christians every hour in Africa alone. You know how many Muslims convert to Christianity every hour in Africa? 700. 16,000 a day, 6 million every year are escaping the lies of that particular false religion and turning to Christ and finding refuge in the Saviour, forgiveness of their sins, assurance of heaven, which Islam, like every man-made religion, can never give you. Refuge in the loving arms of the true and living God who gave his son for us so that we can live. The kingdom of heaven never looks like much at any given time, does it? But, but it's growing to an enormous tree that all the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. The parable of the yeast, which is pretty similar because yeast is even smaller than a mustard seed, isn't it? And you think... How can that do anything until you put it in the, the flour and water and you mix it in and the effects are astonishing? They're obvious, they're undeniable. Can you see the kingdom of heaven in your midst? Or are you only going to see it when it's unmistakable on the day of judgment, when it's too late to be part of it? You think of your friends and neighbours, the, the people around us in Ingleburn and Glencorry and Panorama and if you're online, wherever you're living, you know, do they see the kingdom of heaven? Or do they see nothing more than their phone screens and their TVs or the shops that they're, you know, dealing with their anxiety and depression by retail therapy? They're so distracted by all this stuff that's anything but the real deal. But how valuable is Jesus in his kingdom, really? Is it worth taking your eyes off those things and coming to him? Well, verse 44, two more stories. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. <laughs> Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. They're both about the same thing, aren't they? The incredible value of the kingdom of heaven. That being part of that kingdom would be worth everything else if it meant you could be in it. You'd be an idiot if you swapped anything else for it. It's worth everything you have to get it. What's the question Jesus is asking? What's he asking you? Are you all in? Because it's all or nothing with him. And he's absolutely worth it. He's worth everything. Because he's God. And he loves you. And his kingdom is greater than anything in this world or that it has to offer. I mean, even at the most basic level, how long's your life on earth? 70, 80 years? I see some of you have reached that age here already so you've got a few more we're praying uh but it's it's nothing compared to eternity is it right even just at that level it's priceless to know where you're going to be but now even like there is nothing better when jesus spoke to the crowds in these parables he wasn't teaching information 
He was challenging everyone to come out of the crowd and into the kingdom of heaven while there's still time. Are you going to recognize the kingdom or are you going to ignore it? Are you going to listen to him or not? Because judgment is coming and God is going to divide humanity between two groups. Between, he says, the sons of God and the sons of the evil one. The sons of God, he's bringing into the wonderful joy of righteousness. The others he's bringing into the appalling horror of damnation. So how do you respond to the word of God? Do you have ears to hear? And if you do, listen. Are you one of those ones who really never hear and respond? That's entirely possible, isn't it? Plenty of people come to church and hear the truths of God all the time, but hearing's not the same as listening, is it? <laughs> right? All wives know that. <laughs> I think the husbands know it too. Parents know it. Children know it too. <laughs> Flatmates know it. Anyone who's ever rang a help desk for help knows it. <laughs> Anyone who's ever worked on a help desk knows it. <laughs> But it's absolutely true when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God, like the seed on the path, it's just swallowed up by the birds as Satan snatches it away. Or are you one of those who enthusiastically rejoice to hear the word of God? You think, fantastic, how great is Jesus? And, and, but you've got no depth in your response. Once there's any sort of opposition from anyone, you pull back from any Christian commitment. You think how many kids and teens get really fired up to follow Jesus until their peer group turns on them. And then all of a sudden, well, I don't want to be involved then. Right? It's too daggy. Right? When what they really mean is it's too uncomfortable. Right? I, I, I get fed up with uh, some of our youth agencies and stuff who come in and say, you know, yeah, just get everyone to put up, put up your hand. If you became a Christian as a kid or as a teenager, and, you know, 90% of the congregation will always put up their hand at that point because they came through Sunday school. They never asked how many people were in that Sunday school, a youth group who are no longer Christian. Right? It's an irrelevant stat at that point. Right? If they asked that one, they'd show, actually, it's not the great whiz-bang thing Right, that the word of God challenges everyone. It's just that we pull our time and effort into them, and so that's why they become Christians at that point, and we give up talking to adults. And then people come to Christ as adults. You just got to talk to them seriously about it. Right? Or are you one of those who know it's true, you know it's good, and what Jesus is offering is beautiful, and you want to be involved, but the world's got you by the throat. Whether it's you're caught up with the anxieties and worries of this world and there are lots of things to worry about, aren't there? All the endless responsibilities that you've got to manage, the expectations that people have, the disappointments of other people in your life's decisions. And those things don't get any less the older you get. They only weigh you down more and more, don't they? Slowly choking the word of God squeezing the gospel out till there's nothing left. But it's not just the cares of the world Jesus warns about. It's, not just the, it's, it's also the deceitfulness of riches, and I guess you could add pleasures. You imagine that life would just be easier and happier if we, we just had a little bit more. But it's a lie. 
You think about it, no community in the world has ever had as much as we have. We are the richest people in the world today, right? Every single person sitting here is in the top 2% of the world's rich, right? And we are in the richest era in the history of the world. And yet every survey of our community keeps showing that people are desperately unhappy. They're all hopped up on antidepressants. They're checking themselves in. They're calming their fears with retail therapy and chocolate and alcohol and anything else just to get away from it. But they keep thinking, oh, we'll be happy if we just get a little bit more. It's unimaginable how much we've got compared to our parents and our grandparents. But they were much happier and content. Right? More doesn't equal happier. Life just gets more complicated the more you have. Even just moving around the house gets more complicated the more you fill it with stuff. And the toys we buy, they don't ever fulfil us the way we hoped. We have so much FOMO before we get the thing and so much buyer's remorse after we get it and our houses are chock full of stuff we never use and it depresses us more and more because we can't get around the house. It's just so full of junk. It never ends. I reckon of all the soils, that's probably the one of us most the one that most of us are going to struggle with. But that leaves the good soil. Are you the good soil that reproduces a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold? You're not like the other soils. You've understood the kingdom is here and even though other people can't see it, you're committed because you know it really matters. You know that there's nothing better. And so you're here on a lovely Sunday morning Right, rather than out in the park or under the doona at home or lunching with your family because you know that you want to know what the word of God says and you want to belong to the kingdom of heaven. And even though it creates opposition and difficulty in your family or your team or at work, you, you get, you've got your roots down real deep, deep enough to withstand the pressure and you're sufficiently free from the world's cares and deceits so that you're like the man who, who sold everything to buy that one field with the treasure in it, that one great pearl. You value the kingdom of God so much, you've got a single-minded commitment to it. And you'd even be willing to suffer the loss of everything else for the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. Is that you? I hope and pray that it is because it's only those who come to him, who are with him, who are going to be fruitful at all in this world and do anything of lasting value. And it's only those who will shine like the sun in the glory of the Father in the coming judgment of fire. Not that they saved themselves, but they trusted the one who died for them and rose again. They weren't ashamed to call him Lord. The one who gave this very hearing test. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Our Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus, that he just understands the realities of our hearts and he puts his finger on our pulse all the time. Lord, we pray that those we will be those who have ears to hear, Particularly, we pray for those gathering today in this church and other churches that they wouldn't have the words snatched away, that they wouldn't just put down shallow roots and, and that's it as soon as they face opposition. 
And certainly we pray that we wouldn't be those who let your word and your kingdom get choked out of our lives by the anxieties and worries. Lord, we want to put all of our anxieties in your hands. We thank you and invite us to pray for anything and everything we're anxious about. But Father, we pray that we'll know your peace and even more we'll know the surpassing value of Jesus and your kingdom, that we will treasure it beyond all else. Please help us not to fall to the lies of this world, particularly that of greed. Father, help us to see the deceit and to walk towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.